the core cast. Welcome to Shoot the Core Cast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that you can listen to without being prosecuted to the full extent of the jam. From RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, one of your hosts here, known throughout the interwebs also as the Game Boy Guru. And alongside, I have... Addicted. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, welcome to the show. So, as I mentioned before, uh, this is part of RF Generation, a website with a ton of great content. It has a database where you can search for games, and then if you create an account, you can actually track your games with uh, a collection portion, a wish list portion, and also like a sale and trade portion where uh, if you have stuff to sell or to trade, you can actually list those items on there and you can specify that you have the game or also the manual and the box. Uh, and then also you can put notes in there as well. So it's a really cool um, really cool website that you can use to track your collection and uh, really dig down and kind of get into the weeds with that, especially if you're into collecting variants. Uh, you know, things like three-screw versus five-screw NES carts or... With Game Boy games, for example, standard releases versus million seller editions and things like that. So lots of great uh, stuff there. In addition, there are forums on the website uh, that, of course, we're using for the Shmup playthrough. Uh, in addition to the regular community uh, playthrough that happens every month. And make sure you go check that out. And uh, myself, Addicted, and others contribute articles and videos that post to the front page throughout the course of each month. So again, rfgeneration.com. Make sure you go check it out. And just to let everybody know, it's all community-driven and it's 100% free. Absolutely. Okay, so what game are we playing this month? We are playing Gradius. Now this is a seminal title released in 1985 to the arcades. Some of you out there may know it better as Nemesis. It's really, really set the cornerstone for what shooters would become. <clears throat> Can you give us a little bit of a breakdown on the game, please? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> originally released in 1985 in Japan as Gradius. Um, it was a spiritual sequel of sorts to Scramble. Uh, Konami wanted to follow up the success of Scramble with another game. Now, of course, the official sequel to Scramble that we got was um, Super Cobra, which oddly went from the kind of spaceship theme in Scramble and instead changed it to a helicopter. And so, even though that was the official sequel, it was kind of a left-field uh, thing that Konami did, whereas with Gradius, they didn't necessarily 
set out to make a true sequel to Scramble, but more take some of those ideas and expand upon them. And so Gradius really, as you said, set the stage for what especially horizontal shoot-em-ups would become over the course of the next decade plus because it offered a robust power-up system and a lot of different uh, options, which we'll get into, uh, and uh, a lot of different things like enemy waves and uh, just some of the you know different patterns and things that would kind of become standard in shoot-em-ups in years to come. When the game came out in the United States, it released as Nemesis. Uh, I don't know exactly why the name was changed, but it also came with a number of uh, gameplay changes where they took the they took the game and they they made it more difficult in a way by adding more enemies, making the AI more aggressive, enemies shoot more bullets at you. I think it's maybe a touch faster. Now they sort of offset this by making it easier to recover when you die. Um, and that's one of the things that Gradius is famous for, is uh, it being somewhat difficult to recover to a, a point where you can get through the rest of a level, for example, if you lose a life. But in the US Nemesis Arcade version, when you die, you have an opportunity to shoot down several enemies that will offer power-up icons so that you can kind of power your ship back up after you lose a life. But again, that is more of just an offset for having more aggressive enemy AI and more bullets. Uh, the European version kept the Nemesis branding, but largely returns to the enemy placement power-ups, and kind of the flow of the original Japanese version. Um, and then, of course, uh, when Gradius came out on consoles, generally speaking, it, can, it kept the Gradius name and kind of moved from there. Um, let's touch on... Uh, One of the things, sorry, I wanted to add in just a little bit on here. When they were originally designing Gradius, one of the... They asked the team members what they liked to do and they all decided that they wanted to do a space shooter, a space-themed shooter, to beat out Zevius. Zevius was a huge cornerstone at that time, and some they wanted to take some of the elements out there, such as the Nazca lines that you see in Zevius. They added in the Moai heads in order to add a little bit of mystery and a little bit of themes on there. <clears throat> it was made a horizontal shooter because they were reusing some of the assets that were being used for um, that were being used for the sequel that they were already had in development so it made sense if they're going to reuse the assets they would keep with the same scrolling aspect ratio or in this case horizontal aspect ratio <clears throat> one of the other things that uh, interesting with the moai heads is that it sort of became an unofficial konami mascot there was was this the first time that you'd seen the or experienced moai heads and some of the, what's referred to as gradius syndrome you know, where if you take one shot, you have to build yourself back up from the beginning? Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, Gradius Syndrome is is very much that, is that if you if you lose a life, it it's very difficult to build yourself back up for a number of reasons. Number one, Gradius doesn't give you power-ups. What they give you are power-up capsules that allow you to essentially choose 
the power-ups that you activate and in the order that you activate them by how many of those capsules you collect. And so each one of those capsules moves an indicator one position on this power-up bar at the bottom of the screen. And so going from left to right, your very first power-up opportunity is a speed-up. Uh, the second is missiles. The third is called double, which provides, uh, instead of just the standard shot from the front of your ship, it shoots that, and then sort of a 45-degree angled shot from the, from the front of the ship that will travel upwards. The fourth option is laser, which is just a, a long blue laser weapon. The fifth option is what's known as the option in Gradius, or in the U.S. and European nemesis. They're called multiples. Uh, and that is sort of an orange orb that will trail your ship and provides additional firepower. So if you have missiles, they will fire out missiles, and then whatever your shot type is, whether it's the standard shot, the double, or the laser, the option or multiple will fire that as well. And then the last power-up uh, option that you have is just a question mark. But what that provides you is kind of this double shield that goes on the front of the ship so that incoming enemy fire can sometimes be deflected or absorbed to a, a certain number of hits. And as, your, as the shields take damage, they'll kind of shrink down uh, until the shield has been expended. And then, of course, you have to build up your power-up capsules again until you can activate the shield once again. But uh, it's a very intuitive uh, and yet robust power-up system that I think really works well and is... Uh... Sorry, it was the first one that let you choose how you want to power-up. Everyone seems to have their own idea of how they want to start out level, levels. Some people will start going for the option. Some will go for three sp speeds up. Some people will be going for the lasers at first. It really gave you a lot of variety instead of forcing you to go along the set path. Right. Yeah, and and that's one of the one of the most I guess interesting things about Gradius is because you can choose how you power up, really you can kind of tailor the gameplay to uh, the way that you want to play it. Now, of course, there are areas in the first Gradius that are easier, I'll say, with the laser. There are other areas that are probably easier with the double. And so, you know, you have to kind of figure that out for yourself in terms of how you play and all that but but it really does give you a, a little bit more flexibility than a shoot 'em up that has static power-ups in specific enemies or specific waves or what have you that always drops a speed up here or always drops a, a laser weapon here or always drops missiles here kind of a thing um, it definitely gives you a lot more direct control over how you play the game. Speaking of the power-ups on there, can you give a little bit of explanation on how somebody would power up? What, how do you know that enemies can drop a power-up versus a regular enemy? Sure. Um, there are several ways to achieve a power-up capsule, um, or I guess a couple of different ways. Um, and there are two different types. Um, at the beginning of every stage, you have 
these waves of these sort of circular enemies that kind of spin around and they come in a line. And if you can shoot down all the enemies in that line, they will give you an orange power capsule. And so for every orange power capsule you gather, that indicator on the power-up bar at the bottom moves over one, uh, one space. So when you first start the game, if you can shoot down all the, all the enemies as they come in in that first line, and you grab that orange power-up capsule, your speed-up will light up. And then if you move to the bottom of the screen and you shoot the next group of enemies in that whole line, and then you grab that power-up capsule, it moves over to missile, and so on and so forth. There are also enemies in the game that are colored uh, orange, at least in the arcade version and in most of the uh, console and home ports, that when you shoot each one of these singular orange enemies, then they will also drop uh, an orange power capsule, usually. The other um, power-up capsule that you can get is a blue one, and that acts as kind of a smart bomb. And so if you collect that power capsule, any enemies that are on screen, what you would call a popcorn enemy that generally take one hit to destroy, they will all disappear, they'll all vanish. There are also a couple of other enemy formations that will yield power-up capsules. Um, I think starting in stage two or three, probably three, there's an enemy formation where you have these two groups of, of enemies that will fly towards you. They'll shoot out a bunch of bullets, and if you can take out both groups of enemies, you'll be rewarded with two power-up capsules. Similarly, there are a couple of other enemy formations that, again, they sort of come in a line, um, but one of them that sort of follows you around and will more actively target your ship rather than flying in a set pattern. Uh, and again, when you shoot that whole grouping, they'll give you an orange power capsule. Let's take a quick break and start taking a look at how the levels in Gradius are broken down. So each level of Gradius kind of has three phases. Uh, the first phase always starts in space, where you just see a star field behind you, and you get several, several waves or rushes of enemies that will give you the ability to collect power capsules and power up the ship. Once you've passed that section of the game, then you get into kind of the main area for each stage. So, for example, in stage one, you've got a, a ceiling, so to speak, of um, sort of rock formation and stuff, and then uh, the ground with rock and sometimes plant life and uh, little hills and mountains and things like that. Stage, <clears throat> excuse me, stage two has... It's got a little bit more of those little plastic bubbles or something that you guys shoot through. Right. Yeah, yeah there's... Sorry, its na actual name is called the first. The name of the first stage is called volcano, and the stage, the second stage is called Stonehenge. There, but the second stage is where you're going to be going up and down, shooting against the, those turrets, and you got to shoot through all those little pink bullets, and ends up with the zub, what's called the Zubrush, or basically it's a large group of popcorn enemies that rush at your ship without with reckless abandon, trying to. 
destroy the Vic Viper. Right. Yeah, the Vic Viper being, of course, the iconic ship in the Gradius series. Stage three, the primary portion of the level is um, a bunch of kind of floating islands with what we already mentioned, the Moai, which are these sort of Easter Island stone head things that shoot out these ring lasers at you. And uh, you can destroy them by targeting the mouth on the statue when the mouth is open. The fourth stage is basically a repeat of the first stage, but flipped. So essentially elements that would normally have been on the ground will be on the ceiling and vice versa. And there are more enemies. Um, stage five in the arcade original is like a, yeah, the tentacle stage where it's primarily in outer space and there are these uh, sort of brain things that fly at you with uh, two or more tentacle arm things that uh, all have an orange spot on them that's vulnerable. Um, and then, of course, the brains themselves. If you shoot at them enough, they'll shrink down, and then you can eventually destroy them. Those of you who played Life Force, if you played it through the end of the first level with that big brain at the end with the eyeball and the hands, think of something like that, but without the eyeball. Right. A smaller, really creepy. A smaller and potentially less uh, aggressive version of that. And uh, stage six is like a, a spider web, kind of an organic level where your ceiling and, and floor or ground, so to speak, are kind of like organic matter. And there's this webbing throughout the stage that you can kind of shoot through. Uh, and that ends in a sort of, I don't know, almost space squid type of boss. The final stage is kind of a base, like a mechanized base, where there are smaller pathways and things that you have to navigate through. And um, a couple of the versions of the game have an additional stage that shows up in stage five, where it's sort of these giant skeletons on the ceiling and on the ground that you can shoot at and will kind of break apart in pieces and have some additional enemies. Uh, but that each one of those presents kind of the, the primary main stage portion. After you beat, or after you get through the main stage portion, each stage has what is effectively a mini boss or a bit of a challenge, I guess you could call it. So in, in the first level, there are a pair of volcanoes that will shoot out rocks at you that you can destroy. In uh, the second stage, as you mentioned, the Zub Rush in uh, Stage 3, in the Moai stage, there are these large metal balls that will come out, and when they open up, they'll shoot out smaller kind of versions of themselves that, um, that yeah, they'll shoot called, out at you. Sorry, they're called Mother and Child. Yes, that's right. There, which are Those are some of the hardest, too. When there's about six of them, that, at least on the PC Engine version, there are six of them coming across all firing out at once. The slowdown was immense. And we're talking like Gradius 3 slowdown from the Super Nintendo. Right. But still, they don't care. They just keep releasing releasing. And I think it was Gollum in the for forums who mentioned on there. They don't care until the Vic Viper is a smear on their windshield. <laughs> exactly. In stage 5 with the 
the tentacle brain enemies, you sort of get just a rush of those toward the end, or, you know, right before the boss. In the... Oh, uh, in stage four, there's a... Mid-boss is these little... <clears throat> they almost look a little bit like jellyfish, but they're actually one of the first enemies to be named after a heavy metal group. They're called the Iron Maiden. Yes, that's right. And there are a couple... There's two more that were covered in the special stages that are only found in the MSX and PC Engine version. We'll cover those in just a bit here. Let's get get back to the, the tentacles in stage five. Right. And stage six, I don't think there is a mid-boss, right? No, that's the only one where there isn't a, a mid-boss. There is kind of a last rush of enemies as you enter the the final little space before the boss but no that's the only stage i i want to say that's the only well no i guess the last two don't have kind of a mid-boss sort of thing do you count the electronic cage as a mid-boss i guess i I guess you could um you can't really destroy it and you can't really damage it it's just a matter of of avoiding the the cage itself and its sort of lightning laser blast things um which you can largely avoid by just going over above or beneath it yeah good strategy is to go in the lower left hand corner and wait it out from there yeah yeah depending on which version um because in some of those you'll still have uh little walker things that will come and and uh attack you so if you have options then you should uh position them at the back and fire so that as soon as they come on screen you can destroy them one of the reoccurring themes in gradius games is the big core mark in this case big core mark one you want to give a quick explanation of what the big core is and its relevance into this game yeah so the big core mark one is the foundational element of all the bosses in the game uh, and all the bosses throughout the Gradius series, um, or I should say a large majority of the bosses throughout the Gradius series. It's basically a large ship that has kind of an opening in the front center portion that has several of these barriers. And as you're fighting the boss when the boss first comes out it is basically indestructible and after a few seconds the orb or the core in the center of the boss will turn from gray in the arcade version or sort of an orange color in uh, some of the other versions to blue and when that orb or that core turns blue then the boss is vulnerable and so At that point, you can shoot out each of these individual barrier portions from that front center section of the Big Core Mark I boss, and of course subsequent bosses in the Gradius series down the line. And then once all the barriers are destroyed, you can fire through that opening and destroy the actual blue core itself. And once you've done that, typically then any last shot that makes it through that um, that opening will destroy the Big Core Mark I boss. 
And so that shooting the core or destroying the core concept became a recurring thing within the Gradius series. Especially with part two when the announcer would tell you to shoot the core. Yeah. And uh, depending on which version of the game you play or, or in later versions of the game, you know, shoot the core, destroy the core, or things like that. And so that has become a recurring uh, recurring theme throughout the Gradius series and, of course, the namesake of this podcast. Speaking of recurring series, one of the or recurring themes in Gradius, I've noticed that the very end boss, the of stage seven the giant brain it just sort of sits there and barely does any you just fire it 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 seems to be that a defenseless final boss seems to be a common theme for the gradius series can you extrapolate a little bit on that yeah um you're absolutely right about that the last boss in the gradius games is always some kind of fairly defenseless or very easy enemy to actually beat. Um, I don't know why Konami chose to do this, whether it was as a bit of a joke, and then they decided to carry that on uh, through future games, or if it was more of a, you fought hard to get here, we're not going to make you um, work any harder, you know, we're just going to kind of give this to you because you've earned it, sort of a thing. But yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of an oddity because most shoot 'em up games going forward, uh, the end boss was always there to provide some sort of of uh, kind of ultimate challenge. Whereas with Gradius, it's more of a nah, you made it this far, you can have this. One of the things I want to add in just a little bit, and a little bit of trivia on here. The reason why the game is called Gradius is that's the actual name of the planet that the Vic Viper comes from. You are defending against the planet Gradius against this invading army of space aliens. And that's something that would definitely become a reoccurring theme throughout the series and pretty much as shoot 'em ups as a whole. Yeah, I want to say the, the enemies in the Gradius series are called the Bacterians. And the Bacterian Empire, especially going forward into um, the second one, was it's uh, go for no. Oh shoot, I I almost said Nazu, but that's not correct. It, um, Gopher's Ambition, right, is the English title of that one, and that that is superb. On I I hope that we get to cover that one pretty soon on there. But it really just want to put that, even though this was released in 1985 two years before our type it really was a cornerstone and set the standard for what would follow with everything that came to be the music on here the graphics and especially helps as we'll talk into here just a moment here helped spur this the nintendo entertainment system during its first christmas season yeah speaking of the music uh, i wanted to touch on this just briefly the the original music for the arcade game was composed by Miki Higashino, um, who was more well-known later on for doing the music for Contra 3, The Alien Wars, on the SNES, and especially for the Suikoden series of RPGs that showed up on the PlayStation and PlayStation 2. Um, But one of her early 
works was the score for the original Gradius game. And uh, I think it's a, it's a very catchy and interesting soundtrack. It's slightly moody, it's kind of up-tempo, you know, some of the themes, like in the first stage especially, kind of has a hopeful sort of vibe to it, whereas things like stage two and stage three are a bit more ominous, a um, bit more tense, and a bit more, I don't want to say subdued, but just a little bit not as hopeful or not as kind of pump you up as the other tunes. Um, but there's definitely a, a decent range in the music in the in the uh, original game. It's certainly a very large, uh, or if you think about what you'd normally get in shooter today with the either large amounts of techno or some a lot of rock or even heavy metal in here, it's definitely a different time and a different set of music. And I think it does a great job of fitting in, especially with the hopeful attitude on there. In fact, the first stage music from the volcano stage is called Challenger 1985 to give you a little bit of the hope and optimism. Unfortunately, we know what happened with the Challenger space shuttle, but at the time, you can get that sense of prevailing optimism, upbeatness on, throughout the score. Yeah. And uh, a matter of fact, the... Um, the original score, the original arcade score, was released on vinyl in Japan back in the day. I would love to get a copy of that myself, but it was it was popular enough that Konami put that out, you know, so that people could buy the original arcade version of the music. And uh, more recently, uh, I believe it's Ship to Shore Company, who has done some pretty excellent uh, video game music to vinyl transfers uh they're set to release a gradius uh series of records they're going to be doing gradius one two and three and uh gradius one is going to be the nes score and then i believe also the msx version so that'll be a really neat piece to have uh for any of you out there like myself who like to collect game soundtracks on vinyl so let's start by taking a look at some of the ports that came from the original arcade. Well, don't we start with the NES version? Yeah. So the NES version came out in 1986, basically right around the time of the first Christmas season. It is the first game to use the Konami code, now famous Konami code. Uh, most people attribute that to Contra because that's the game where most people used it, um, you know, the first time or kind of discovered that through Nintendo Power or other magazines, but actually Gradius was the first game that included that Konami code. It was put in by the developer because it found the game too hard. Yeah, and so uh, if memory serves, you pause the game, you input the code, and then when you unpause, you have, um, I want to say... Missiles? Two option missiles, I believe the laser and the force field. Right. And so it give you a little bit of an advantage if you're having trouble with the game or or uh, just need a leg up to kind of try and get through the level. Uh, but you can only use that once per play. Uh, not once per level, but actually once per game. 
Yeah, as you mentioned, two options. The NES version uh, scales it back, presumably because of limitations of the hardware or limitations of what Konami was able to do with the NES or the Famicom early in its life. But uh, the arcade original allowed you to get up to four options that would trail your ship and provide additional firepower. The NES version has only two as the maximum. Um, so it really does change the dynamic of the game because one of the things, one of the strategies in the arcade version and most of the ports is that you can kind of maneuver the options around and cover a pretty good swath of the screen with bullets or with lasers and then also have a, a large contingent of missiles that will drop down to ground level or to enemies below. With the limitation of two options in the NES version, of course, that's cut in half. And your firepower potential is quite limited. To help make up for that, though, they <clears throat> a fix the scrolling. To give you an example, the stage three, the Moai stage, there normally scrolls up and down as you're moving through, but due to limitations of the hardware, they fix it so you're, you're just constantly horizontally scrolling. The other thing, in fact, the more, more important thing they did is they had less enemies on screen. I mean, this is a, due to the limitation of the NES's six sprites per horizontal line before things started disappearing. I, I'll have to check into that. But all in all, it led to less enemies on the screen, which made it a little bit of an easier game. Right. And even with the, even with the NES limitations in terms of the number of sp sprites per horizontal line... Konami still pushes the envelope on that, even in this first game, between enemy sprites and bullets. So there's still a pretty good amount of flicker in the game. So you definitely have to pay attention to where things are and kind of watch the flicker patterns to make sure that you don't get hit by a stray bullet that you can't see. Gradius on the NES was also the start of Konami's Silver Box line of games that we see with later titles like Contra... Jackal, uh, Laser Invasion, and so forth. And yeah, the fixed scrolling that you mentioned is interesting because uh, the arcade original, even though it's a horizontal shooter, it does use the sort of vertically oriented 4x3 aspect ratio that you would normally find in uh, a vertical shooter like, um, like Xevious, for example. Uh, and so you know, you had the ability to scroll up and down a little bit more. The one thing I love about this, in fact, I don't know about you, but Gradius on the NES was my first experience with the Gradius and the Gradius series. And there, I didn't have any chance to play it or try it in the arcades and play on the NES. I have so many great memories to play on the NES version. Konami started off by cutting their chops on with the MSX line and the experience helped carry on over to the NES or the Famicom. <clears throat> and the fact that they got everything right, it was a decent port. It wasn't choppy scrolling like you get on the MSX version. It played well. It had a standout box to identify. like the Similar to the, uh, sorry, it had a silver box to help identify and separate from the rest and tell you this is something special. This is something just like the Nintendo Black Box line, especially since it was in the Christmas of 1986 or the first Christmas after the NES launched. 
this was in the right place at the right time, and it did a lot to further gaming. Absolutely. I mean, when you consider a lot of the other early shoot-em-ups on the NES, you know, even Xevious didn't make it out this early. Um, you know, the NES conversion of that came out later, but some of the other earlier shoot-em-ups on the NES were games like Star Force and Star Soldier, and those felt a little basic compared to what Gradius was. And so, coming so early in the life of the console, at least in North America, it really set the bar pretty high for scrolling shooters going forward for the rest of the console's life. Let's take a switch on over and take a look at the PC Engine version. So I I did not have a chance to play this um, during the month we were playing it because I only just got my PC Engine. But I did put some time into it, and it's it's a fairly faithful conversion, but it does have some quirks and some issues um, that make it a, an interesting and somewhat unique experience in and of itself. There's a f- fair bit of slowdown in different areas of the game. Of course, the PC Engine can handle a lot more sprites on screen than what the NES could, but as many bullets as come out or with all the different enemies that will show up in the game because it can handle more like the arcade original there's a fair bit of slowdown in the game yeah that's okay i would definitely again anyone who's played gradius 3 on the super nintendo think that type of slowdown it's really noticeable and in some cases makes the game feel a little bit easier maybe a little bit too easy but honestly i think this is probably my favorite port outside of the uh, our, um, the Gradius collection for the PS1 and Saturn. I love that extra stage. One of the quirks that I found with the game is that the hitbox uh, area, or the area of effect, so to speak, of the lasers, is really large in the PC Engine version. One way that I noticed this almost immediately is in Stage 2, Uh, You're going along, and if you can get past all of the turrets and everything with multiple options and with lasers, and then you kind of position yourself on the screen so that you can sort of have the options kind of in a semicircle above the Vic Viper and then just kind of sit there and shoot lasers, as as you're going through the Zub Rush and they're coming down toward you, as the options and your ship are shooting out lasers... When the Zub enemies get within some approximate distance from what you see on the screen is the actual laser, they get destroyed. And so it's a really weird uh, phenomenon where they're not getting destroyed by the laser themselves unless they appear in the path of the laser. Typically they're getting destroyed by kind of a field effect, if you will, on the periphery of the laser and so it's a really odd it's a really odd thing one thing i noticed when you're fighting against the big core at the end of each of the stages that has it is that those lasers while they work well for destroying those barriers leading up to the blue core for some reason even with that additional hitbox size or that field effect that you get from those lasers i had a really hard time 
destroying that blue core on the PC Engine version with the laser weapon. And I'm not sure if that's because I wasn't pinpointing it enough or just what it was, but there were a couple of times when I basically had to just time out the boss because despite throwing all sorts of lasers at it, I could never actually get that core to be destroyed, which I thought was very odd. That is odd. I can't say I experienced the same thing. Huh. Yeah. And as you mentioned, uh, the PC Engine version does have an additional stage. The Boneyard. Yeah, the Boneyard level, which originated in the MSX version. And you actually got a chance to play through that, didn't you? I did. I got a chance to play through both. And it's pretty interesting on there. It definitely has to slow down, as you'll find. As the name would imply with the Boneyard, you have these bones that are flying through. People familiar with the Castlevania series, where the skeletons throw their bones, and they go up in an arc, and then they split split it into multiple spaces. Think of instead of bullets coming out, you have bones they're flying against you, and it's filled with two types of main enemies on there, which are known as Megadeth and Metallica. You want to give a quick, since you're the metalhead here, you want to give a quick explanation of both? Yeah, so the Megadeth enemy is this sort of large skull with multiple additional holes in its, uh, in its head that kind of hover in place and they shoot out a bullet spread from their mouth and they will continue to spawn until something called a honum is destroyed. It's just kind of the, the spot that they come from. The Metallica, on the other hand, which is the other enemy that is unique to the MSX and PC Engine version, is a sort of skull and uh, small rib cage sort of thing that it kind of looks like a, an ape or a, or a you know gorilla kind of thing, comes up out of the ground and similar to the Moai, will shoot uh, destructible bones or projectiles and then, uh, like the Moai, of course, its mouth is its weak spot. And so if you can catch it while its mouth is open and it's shooting the stuff at you and shoot through the projectiles that it's spitting out, then, of course, you can destroy it and uh, get away from that uh, large group of stuff that they're shooting at you. Yeah, the Megadeth is the actual boss of the state. And similar to the... Uh mother and child that you'd see at the end of state three where you sort of get a little bit of a rush of those the same thing happens with the megadeth there basically fire out it's not quite a laser but it's a almost like a, a laser pulse coming out of there and you have to keep destroying and destroying them until the time runs out. on that one there's not a uh, core mark one at the end of it it's just the megadeth enemies which looks similar to ape skulls or gorilla skulls right all in all, it's really an interesting idea to stick in there. It's a shame that I can understand why it wasn't in the NES version, but I would have liked to see this a little bit more than just the MSX and the PC Engine version. Still, if you have a chance to pick up either version on the cheap, definitely check it out. Uh, one thing to remember is that the the Gradius for the MSX you can find on the MSX collection that Konami put out for the... It's Japanese only, but it came out for the Saturn, and it came out for the PlayStation. 
The PlayStation version is going to be a little bit cheaper version to pick up if you're looking for Volume 1, where the Saturn one is a compilation of Volumes 1, 2, and 3, or sort of like the best of on of the PlayStation series. So definitely look into that. If you can't afford an MSX, which I understand they're expensive, take a look at MSX Volume 1 on the Japanese PlayStation or <clears throat> MSX Classics on the Sega Saturn. Right. One of the other things I wanted to mention real quick that has a little bit of an issue on here, or this version, because the play field is just a little bit larger than what you normally see across the screen, you do have a little bit of a scrolling effect. That means as you, as you go down, the screen's going to scroll down. As you move up, the screen's going to scroll up. That could be a little bit jarring. I can understand why they blocked it in with the NES version to me. It's a little bit easier. It can have a little bit of effect depending upon the player. Yeah, and I... Uh... Even though I didn't get a chance to play the MSX version, I did uh, watch a playthrough of it on YouTube, and uh, the original MSX computer was an interesting uh, computer for its time, and I really think Konami did a pretty good job with that port, all things considered, uh, given the limitations of the MSX itself, um, its notoriously choppy scrolling, and um, you know its, its limited audio capabilities without enhancements. And limited color palette as well. Yeah. Yeah, the MSX was a standardization for computers put out there primarily by Microsoft. And they were caught big in Europe and was big in Japan. Their MSX-1, which is where this port came out from, you had a lot of translucent or very just bright colors. For example, if you're looking at what would normally be an orange enemy in NES for Gradius, you'd be in, the, in this case, they're just going to be orange. So almost like a see-through orange. The game is made a little bit harder than it should be. Okay, probably a lot harder than it should be by the fact that the, tr the choppy scrolling and the enemies don't quite line up, so it makes it really hard to determine where you're going and how where you should be firing your shots. <clears throat> Those of you who are familiar with the infamous, or I should say, famous Taito Space Invaders should not. As things start, you start out with things really slow, and things start speeding up, and sometimes it can be a little hard to figure out where the enemies are going to be, where you need to shoot. And you sort of get that same effect here within with the MSX version. It's still a very interesting port to play, despite its limitations. And if you th if you've played the NES version of Gradius, and at this point, who really hasn't? It's worth checking out because it's ju it's just a little bit less powerful than what the NES has as far as what you get in the end product. Yeah, and uh, just a little bit of a side note: the MSX version or conversion, if you will, of Gradius is also uh, supposed to be coming out for the ColecoVision as more of a modern release. Um, uh, for those unfamiliar, the there's uh, Opcode Games has made a uh, an expansion module for the ColecoVision called the Super Game Module, which adds additional RAM and graphics and sound capabilities to effectively make the ColecoVision more powerful. And so they're releasing a series of games that are enhancements uh, either enhanced versions of existing ColecoVision games or, in the case of Gradius and Penguin Wars and a couple of other titles, ports of the MSX games that will take advantage of the additional 
uh, graphic and sound capabilities of that Super Game module. And so the MSX version of Gradius will be ported, I guess you can say, to the ColecoVision. Um, so for those who were lucky enough to own a Super Game module, you'll be able to buy a copy of that and play it on the ColecoVision. Seems like Gradius is a version of Doom and showing up everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it almost seems like that. I wanted to ask you, on you played the PSP version uh, <clears throat> on this, as well as Gradius Galaxy. Uh, sorry, not Gradius Galaxy. Yes, Gradius Galaxy is basically the <clears throat> PSX and Saturn version of the arcade that comes with 1 and 2 on there. Can you give a little bit of that? Sure. So, um, yeah, on the PSP, you've got uh, the PSP or the Gradius Collection, which combines Gradius 1 through 4 and Gradius Gaiden, which came out on the PlayStation in Japan, and uh, this is actually the first time that we've seen that game in the West. But it's interesting because the PSP version takes advantage of the PSP hardware uh, in terms of the extra widescreen and gives you a little bit more play field to work with. And it also gives you some options that are turned on by default, which make the PSP version probably a little bit easier than some of the other versions. The, the hitbox on the Vic Viper is a bit smaller, and like I said, the, uh, the expanded width of the play field means that you get just that extra you know, fraction of a second to sometimes see enemies as they're coming into view, so that as you're learning the stages and and the layouts and everything, you can you know have that as a bit of an advantage. And so the the PSP version actually I found to be the easiest. And um, as we were playing throughout the course of the month, it was the only version that I managed to get a one credit clear on the first loop. That was very satisfying. But I really I really like the PSP version. Uh, now of course the uh, Gradius Deluxe Pack that came out on the Saturn and the PlayStation was only in Japan, but both of those collections essentially are just uh, collecting Gradius and Gradius 2 uh, arcade ports into a single disc that you can play on the PlayStation or the Saturn. I happen to own the Saturn version. I played through it, um, and especially with a Model 2 Saturn pad that plays very well and really gives you that arcade experience. The other thing that I played was on the PlayStation 4, you have the arcade archives that came out. And that's actually, uh, that version of Gradius actually has the original Japanese Gradius arcade port, the US version of Nemesis that I mentioned before has all the changes in terms of enemy AI and power-up stuff, and then the European version of Gradius, which kind of keeps the Nemesis name, but reverts more back toward the original Gradius Japanese release in terms of enemy layout, AI, power-up sequence, and all of that stuff. And so there are quite a few good ways to play uh, Gradius on a number of consoles. The one thing I'll say about the PlayStation 4 version is I own the newer PlayStation 4 Slim that comes with the newer version of the PlayStation 4 controller with the light bar on it. 
from what I am told, the D-pad on the original model PlayStation 4 controller is better. I struggled a lot with the version on the PS4, and I think the D-pad had something to do with it, because it's a little mushy, it feels a little loose, and so I had trouble with being precise in terms of moving the ship around, and sometimes I would hit diagonals when I didn't want to, or... You know, I'd, I'd rest my thumb a little bit, and then I'd move the ship and run into the scenery. And so I had a lot of difficulty, especially with Nemesis, the U.S. version. Uh, there were a couple of times I was playing that and got really frustrated because between the less-than-stellar D-pad on that controller and the aggressive enemy AI and absolute hailstorm of bullets, especially in the, the turret section in Stage 2... There were a couple of times I rage quit and uh, had to uh, had to put it away or move back to the Japanese version to uh, to try that. Can you tell me a little bit about what some of your strategies were for? Let's start off with stage one. And there were you primarily going for speed first, and then going, or were you one of those people who went for options and then went for speed? Or what were your strategies for some of the stages? Sure. Um. In all versions, I start with two speed-ups immediately, then I go for at least one option, if not two. Um, typically, I'll do two speed-ups, then I'll get my first option, uh, usually as I'm getting close to the end of that initial rush of those uh, enemy lines, and then once I kind of get into the portion of the stage, the main portion of the stage where you've got the rock formations on the top and bottom, then I'll get my second option. Now, of course, in the NES version, that's all you have. But in the arcade version, of course, and most of the other ports, you can get up to four options. So I work toward doing that. The one difference is once I have at least two options, then typically I'll go for missiles because then I'll have a, an easier time taking out targets on uh, the ground as well, so that I don't always have to go up to the top of the screen and take out cannons and turrets and things like that, then run down to the bottom of the screen and take out that stuff. I can kind of take out some of that stuff a little bit more incidentally uh, through the use of missiles. But once I've done that, typically speaking, I will go all the way with my options. Uh, and so... In the arcade version, PC Engine version, uh, PSP port, etc., if you get all the power-up orbs from the beginning of the stage up to the point where you get to the twin volcanoes, you can have a loadout of two speed-ups, missiles, and four options with the standard cannon. Now, on the NES version and the PSP version, one of the interesting things, and sort of, I guess you could call it a quality of life change that they made, is in the original version, in the arcade and PS, uh, PC Engine and a lot of the other ports, the twin volcanoes are positioned on the screen such that there's almost no room between the base of the first volcano and the left side of the screen. So, in order to be safe when you're playing in most versions of the game, you need to position the Vic Viper essentially at the top left of the screen, just below the rock formation at the top. 
Um, and so if you have any options, you want to make sure that they're beneath you so that they're shooting out bullets and missiles. And that way you can take out volcanic rocks as they shoot up so that A, they don't hit the Vic Viper, and B, you can score points from them. I want to say in all versions of the game, you if you destroy every enemy up to the Twin Volcanoes, you should have somewhere around 20,000 points or just over that. And so in most versions of the game, if you're destroying everything that's coming out of those volcanoes, you should be able to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50,000 points thereabouts before the first Big Core Mark I comes out. However, in the NES and PSP versions, the Twin Volcanoes appear more centered on the stage. So in the NES version, I adjust my strategy to make sure that after I get my two options, I get my laser because instead of positioning the Vic Viper at the top of the screen, what you can do is move toward the top, then double back and have the Vic Viper sitting just above the top of the two volcanoes and then have your options spread out up top, kind of above the, the ship. And then if you're shooting lasers across, especially if you are using a, a turbo controller or just you know shooting them really fast, you can take out almost all of the volcanic rocks as they shoot out. And in either version, in that first stage, you can blow past just past 70,000 points if you do it right. So in most of the versions, of course, you get an extend after like 30,000 points. So you can immediately earn a life in that first stage if you can if you can line up your ship in the NES or PSP versions and time that right. So I thought that was kind of an interesting change where instead of the the volcanoes being right there toward the left side of the screen that they're more centered so that you can adjust the strategy uh, did you uh, try golem's strategy of trying three speed ups right at the start no um three speed ups is really fast one thing that i find in games of this type where you either have to grab speed up power-ups or, you know, use like a meter or what have you to um, to set your speed, like in some later games like the Thunder Force series or, or the later Star Soldier games, I tend to prefer my ship speed right about the halfway mark. And so in Gradius, I think, I want to say the maximum speed-ups you can get is either four or five. I max out at two because anything more than that, and I tend to go careening into enemy bullets or as I'm trying to weave my way through, especially through tight sections like those pink orbs that you shoot through in stage two or stage two with the little floating uh, rock formations and things like that where you've got tight spaces. Three speed ups typically spells instant death for me because I tend to run into stuff. So it's pretty easy to... Uh overcorrect and when you're going ludicrous speed with those three speed ups i had trouble trying that strategy as well yeah there, there's a turbo graphics uh actually it's a pc engine game called rock on it's widely regarded as the worst shooter on the system <clears throat> but there's a part where the game where you can actually speed up you're just zipping around the screen it's ridiculous <laughs> and with three speed ups it really in gradius it really reminded me of that it's just too hard for me to handle on there. 
<clears throat> when I, I try to go, always start out with probably about one or two speed ups and then immediately go for the options. Once I had the options down, I found things a little bit more manageable. <clears throat> Is the one thing that the NES controller didn't have that the PC Engine controller has built in, so I don't consider it cheating, is rapid fire. Right. It makes a huge difference. That's what I'm trying to get through this. And for the first part of it, when you're fighting the first space stage and you're fighting those popcorn enemies that come through in a row, you really have to get close up to them and, and just start firing, wailing away on them in order to get those power-ups that you need in order to do speed, speed, followed by missile, and then going with the two options. The interesting thing with the MSX version is that you can select the, uh, the power-ups more than once, so you can actually do double missile. Now, you're still limited to the two options, but you can have two options in double missile, and I would have to double-check on here, but I believe you can also do, like, dual lasers. Yeah, and that's actually something that they implemented in other Gradius games later in the series by allowing you to doubly power up some of the weapons, like the missiles, like the the double or or like the laser to where you can have um, multiple power levels or, or multiple, yeah, like two levels of effect, essentially. One of the things that you mentioned earlier regarding the uh, point farming with the volcanoes on there, what was your strategy for point farming with the Moai heads on stage three? Ooh, um, yeah, because you can really farm a lot of points and milk that pretty heavily. Any of the Moai that I had the ability to destroy um, where I could get a clean shot, I did. Um, but of course, they'll shoot out, shoot out some of those laser rings at you while you're trying to destroy them. So you're going to get a few points from that anyway. But there are some Moai that, depending on which version you're playing, you're either not going to get much of an opportunity to destroy them, or if you try to position yourself in a way that you can destroy them, you know, either for an option passing through the enemy or, uh, or that kind of a thing, a lot of times you'll find yourself being quickly bombarded by ring lasers from two or three additional Moai heads, so you really can't hang out in any one area too long. What I try to do is position myself kind of toward the back of the screen, have the options kind of partially out in front of me and maybe one you know, above or below. So I've got a little bit of cover fire and just kind of move through the locate, move through the level and kind of course correct and, and move a little bit back and forth so I can miss turret fire and things like that. But also, not get caught in the path of the ring lasers, but you could really take a lot of those ring lasers out and milk a lot of points doing that. One thing that's interesting on the NES version, because there are there's the same number of Moai, but there are fewer ring lasers that they will shoot out. And so you can actually position one of your options to pass through the mouth of the Moai that are on like a ceiling or a floor or whatever, to take those out. So you can actually get more points just by destroying more Moai. Um, but you can also destroy the Moai in the NES version, the ones that are like the ceiling hanging ones, by positioning your shots. And I, I, haven't, I didn't get it to work with the laser, but only with the regular bullets. But by positioning the, your Vic Viper so that you're basically shooting at the tip of sort of their nose... 
so that when the mouth opens, something with the hitbox of the Moai and with the shots that you're shooting, you're able to do damage enough to destroy them. I wasn't able to achieve that on any other version, so it must be a quirk of just the NES port, but it does have the intended or unintended effect of making that third stage in the NES version a little bit easier if you can exploit that when you have to. Speaking of the third stage, that mother and child boss, uh, I found that to be, even with the laser, it was still pretty difficult to deal with. And there, what was your strategy for dealing with that boss? Yeah, that's the interesting one. In the arcade version and the PC Engine version, the long, thin lasers that you shoot will pass through the child sprites and still damage the, the mother sprites. So you can use that to kind of take those out. On the NES version, the, the child sprite will stop the wider laser sprite that you shoot out. That'll stop him cold. So you either need to move the Vic Viper to the right side of the screen and absolutely pelt those mother sprites with lasers the second they come on the screen so that they maybe only get the chance to, to fire off one three-way volley or stick with the standard cannon, you know, dodge the child sprites when they come out and then just absolutely pelt the mother again with regular cannon fire because that, those will take the mother out pretty quickly. Um, but like I said, with everything else, the lasers really work well. But of course, in all the other versions, or at least in, in the more arcade faithful versions, like PC Engine, PSP, Saturn, PlayStation, etc., they can shoot up to, I think, five different child pieces out from each one of those ships. So the screen can get full pretty quickly from those enemies. So, yeah, you're, you're best to try and stay as close to the right side of the screen as possible so they don't follow you. And then also to just absolutely fire as quickly as you can to take them out as soon as they come on screen or shortly thereafter so that they're not filling the screen with the child copies of themselves, giving you very little room to maneuver. Now, it seemed to be prevailing wisdom in the thread that any spot or any level that has ceiling, you want to go with the double shot, which is a little bit less powerful than the regular shot, but you can always shoot at that 45 degree angle. In any spot where you didn't have a ceiling, you wanted to go with the laser. Did you follow that mantra, or did you sort of pick and choose depending on what you thought was best? I did fairly closely. Um, I think that's especially true in the NES version for like the Moai level. You can do it with lasers, but it definitely is easier with the double. The other thing with the double that makes that a little bit harder to wield otherwise is even with rapid fire it doesn't shoot as quickly as the regular cannon because you're shooting a double shot instead of a single. So you really have to be a little bit more careful with that. But yeah, the Moai stage, and then especially the final stage in inside the uh, mechanized base, if you don't have double shot in that final area, it's going to be real difficult because there are enemies coming at you from behind, and from in front, and there are walkers and turrets and things that will be on both floor and ceiling, and you really have to you really have to have missiles and double shot 
and multiple options in order to get out enough firepower to take everything out before you absolutely get rained on with bullets. Speaking of enemies coming behind you, I wasn't able to replicate this, but apparently Gollum had a issue, had a odd thing happen where enemies were destroyed by the Vic Viper's exhaust. Were you able to replicate that? Yes, uh, especially on the PSP version, I noticed that. Uh, in fact, I came across that one time just randomly as I was playing that I think it was during a Zub Rush maybe that I was moving around trying to avoid things. I think because I had died shortly before and so I wasn't really able to power up more than than just getting a couple of speed ups and missiles or something like that. And so I was I was using just the, the regular pea shooter and kind of moving around the stage to avoid the zubs and shoot what I could. But I remember moving and flying kind of into one or near one with the back of the ship and the exhaust on the Vic Viper in the more arcade accurate conversions will take out popcorn enemies or will damage things. Now, I found that strategy to be a little bit more effective in the PSP version, so I'm not sure if the exhaust is given a little bit more of a damage boost in that version. In the other versions, it's there, uh, except for the NES version. There is no exhaust in the NES version, so that little strategic element is, is gone. But in the other versions, I found that you don't have as much of a as much of a damage boost, or it might just be that enemies don't disappear as quickly. And so if you if you destroy an enemy and then move into that enemy's space while it's exploding, you'll die. Um, but on the PSP version, for some reason, I never had that issue. And, and it may just be that as I was playing, I, I didn't do that. But, um, but yeah, it's kind of an interesting interesting element that you that makes sense logically that you would you know as your ship is shooting out exhaust that that would damage stuff but that early of a of a game implementing that kind of system is pretty unique so we've covered all the seven levels of gradius what level gave you the most trouble was it the moai stage was it the crystalline sort of organic stage, the mechanized base. Initially, the Moai stage was was where I had the most trouble, and I think on the whole, that's still where I where I struggle to get through and maintain my power ups. Now, the Moai stage, if I do it right, if I die and then I get to the checkpoint later in the stage, I can generally recover from that get through the Zub Rush, and then take out the boss, and then power back up uh, as I'm going through the first part of Stage 4. So the Moai stage is probably the one that I overall had the most trouble with. But if I can get through that and and do that, then probably Stage 4 after that, if I'm fully powered up and I'm dodging things properly and I can get through that, it's not that bad. As long as you can position yourself to not get hit by the Iron Maidens as they're coming down the screen, and you can take those out, and then also take out the the enemies coming from the enemy generators that are on the ceiling there, I can kind of get through that. Now, of course, Stage 7, the mechanized base, that's insane. So, one when I made it that far, yeah, I had a lot of trouble with, 
with that stage because you're you're given a lot less area to maneuver in and there's just an absolute rush of enemies and bullets coming at you so it's a lot to contend with what about you well on occasion i would make it to stage four i just had a lot of trouble with at least with the nes version and arcade version of getting to stage four the moai stage was the love of a stumbling block reminded me a lot of that battleship sorry battleship stage in i think that was stage three in the original r-type it was seemed to be a stumbling block where most people would get stuck. I remember Duke having a lot, Duke Togo on the forum having a lot of trouble with that as well. It's one of those stages where it's going to force you to start learning the ins and outs of the game, and not just firing your way through. It's going to it forces you to start learning the patterns, what what's going to do it for you, and a lot of memorization. Yeah, I it's it's one of those things that though that you keep coming back to you keep saying one more try and i got it this time yep so we should probably shout out the forum members who participated this month sounds good to me we i participated and addicted as i know you did as well we also had dougley 007 who gave it a very good try there we had pam forgive me if i'm not pronouncing this right collision easy racer Gollum, who seems to be just killing everything that we put in front of him, we may have to find something really hard for him. <laughs> Zofar53, Nefarious Wes, and of course, RFGen Single Banana. Yes. So, a pretty good crew for our second playthrough uh, in the Shmup Club, and quite a few participants this time around. I was really pleased with all the turn on there, and everyone did a great job of trying to. <clears throat> to get through this game, which can be definitely frustrating at times, especially as mentioned, you get start hitting that mo the Moai roadblock on stage three, or the uh, infamous mother and child at the end of that stage. Absolutely. Um, in terms of high scores, looks like uh, only only Gollum and myself were able to get high scores on any of the versions, at least that were submitted with photographs on uh, on the forum post and so Gollum absolutely destroyed the NES version with 1,121,600 points uh, he also made a commanding performance on the arcade version with 427,300 points I, as I mentioned earlier, I was able to uh, do a one credit clear of the first loop of the game and then get um, a little ways in on the second loop, I think I may have only made it to uh, stage two, and I ended up with 412,400 points on the PSP version, and then on the uh, Saturn Gradius Deluxe Pack port, I ended up with 388,100, and I want to say I reached stage seven? The mechanized base, very nice. Yeah. I know that Duke also posted a, a high score on the PSP version, I believe. Yeah, he uh, he definitely put some time into the game and and really did. And Nefarious Wes, of course, as well. He, he played the NES version and got a really high score. He reached stage six of the second loop, but his high score then was only 
937,600 points. So he didn't quite edge out Gollum, but Nefarious West is a beast with, uh, with Gradius. And um, he actually participated in a multiplayer um, live stream recording that uh, was done by a fellow shmup fan, Agro Sky on Twitter, who did then a four-way playthrough of the NES or Famicom version of Gradius 2, where uh, him and three other guys, including Nefarious West, all played the game, and then he synced up the recordings uh, so that it showed all four of them playing the game at once. It was a really incredible video. That sounds incredible. It's definitely something that I would like to maybe see if we could do one day. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Gradius on here, I wanted to ask you, what what is your favorite version in the series? I would definitely have to say the PSP port right now is the contender for my favorite. I just like the way that it plays. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the smaller screen uh, versus a television where I can see everything or, or if it's the wider screen where you get that fraction of a second of additional you know sort of time to see stuff as it comes on screen i don't know what it is but i really found a groove with the psp version playing during lunch breaks and stuff at work and as i said that's the only one that i managed to one credit clear i got close on the nes i got close on the saturn version and i think if i would have had more time with it and and actually been able to play it during the month that we played this game i might have been able to achieve that with the pc engine version despite you know my frustrations with the couple of that ports uh different quirks so i I felt a lot better about gradius in that sense than i did with r-type for the previous month because i really i definitely got more of a groove with gradius than i did with r-type uh, what about you? What was the be- you said earlier that the, you thought the PC Engine version was your favorite? Yeah, I would definitely say the PC Engine version. I think it's probably because I played the NES version so much. I still love the NES version, but the PC Engine version was was just en- different enough to give me in the slowdown help too with uh, my my skill level. But at least it gave me a, a glimpse into something a little bit more of the arcade version. I hadn't tried the deluxe packs till the very end of the month, <clears throat> so this this is my first try with the arcade version. And I was definitely impressed with that, especially with the again with the boneyard level, and some of the extra content that was in there. How close to the arcade they're able to maintain it, even with the slow down. I liked it despite its quirks and uh, thought it worked out very well. Now the PSP version is definitely something on my radar. And something I want to get my hands on before it gets a little too high. I think right now it's hitting about 40, which isn't too bad. No, and I would I would say it's definitely worth that, especially because it's the only physical console port of, of Gradius 2 that we got in the West, and the only physical console port of Gradius Gaiden that we got in the West. Now, of course, Gradius 3 and 4, you know, the SNES version of Gradius 3 differs from the arcade, but we did get arcade ports of 3 and 4 later on the PlayStation 2. But if you want to play the arcade versions of 
Gradius II, uh, or the arcade version of Gradius II, and Gradius Gaiden without paying an arm and a leg and importing it, the PSP version is the only way. Gradius Gaiden is my favorite in the entire series. I'm definitely going to be visiting that in the future. That game is phenomenal. It's a fantastic game, and uh, definitely a high point in the series. My, my personal favorite uh, still, I think, is Gradius V. One heck of a choice. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it really is a, a good culmination of the series up to that point with some interesting uh, added things and and just a ton of, of options with uh, the way that you can customize your weapon loadout. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yeah, I'm going through the, the thread here, and, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, the double and the laser being very situational. Of course, Duke, touch, Duke Togo touched on that, um, and Wes echoed that, uh, that he... he uh, Used the double on the stages with ceilings, and then did better with the laser on stage six, and double being a must for the final stage. And then uh, something that Golem said, kind of echoing what I mentioned about the PSP version with having a, a slightly more forgiving hitbox. You know, he mentioned that uh, that the Vic Viper's nose. You know, some sometimes you can graze an enemy or a bullet with the front of the ship ever so slightly and not get destroyed whereas in the nes version of course it's less forgiving so you don't really have that option yeah the one of the th other couple things i like to try is i know that there is a ds port of this i don't even need to try i know that it allows you access to the dip switches you can change on there and apparently has a piano theme for beating the game oh interesting yeah, I think if there's any other versions of this game out there, that's about as far, the only ones I could think of on there. The, the I know you're talking about the Cole upcoming Coleco version port. I would expect that to fall in line with the MSX and the <laughs> NES version, as the Coleco is very similar to the NES. Yeah, um, even with the Super Game module, the Coleco version is not quite as powerful as the NES, uh, especially with the advent of all the mapper chips and things like that. That that came out uh, and that were able to be used in a lot of the later games, but allowed to cheat. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, watching the YouTube video of kind of a preview of what it's going to look like, it looks like it's actually going to be pretty good and might actually have better, smoother scrolling than the MXS MSX version. And so that'll be a nice treat once that finally gets released uh, to have. Uh, you know, a, a better iteration, I guess you could say, of that MSX uh, Nemesis game here in the West. Very nice. So, <clears throat> what can you give us a little bit of an idea of what we've got look, looking forward to for this month? Yeah, so uh, as we record this, we are over halfway through the month of August, and we have all been playing Raiden 5. Uh, of course, that's out on the uh, came around originally on the Xbox One as a timed exclusive, and then the Director's Cut came out later on PlayStation 4 and PC via Steam. The uh, PlayStation 4 version is very inexpensive. That, that can be had on Amazon for $20 or less, I think, and that comes with a CD soundtrack, 
which I would recommend because the music in the game is quite good. Uh, we'll get into that, of course, when we record the next episode. So by the time you hear this podcast, August may already be over. And so for September, we're going to be going in a slightly different direction. And we're going to be playing a uh, what's called a doujin title, uh, which is sort of a blanket term used for Japanese indie games. And it's coming from a little studio called Hickware Games. Uh, and it's been out for a number of years now, a game called Warning Forever. And it's sort of a vertical-oriented shooter. It's not a scrolling shooter in the strictest sense. It's kind of a fixed uh, single-screen game, but unlike a Space Invaders or Galaga type of game, it is essentially a progressive boss rush where your ship can move around the screen and you have the ability to kind of tilt and manipulate the direction of how your cannon fires and each level has uh, as you go up through the levels each level has a progressively larger more complex and more firepower rich boss that you can either go right for the core in gradius fashion and try to destroy it or earn more points by picking off turrets, cannons, and segments of the boss's uh, body so that you can maximize your score. So it's a really interesting little title. It, it uses kind of a vector graphics style to sort of emulate that, that uh, early 80s vector graphics style similar to Space Duel or Tempest kind of a thing with line art. But then it also uses more traditional raster effects for lasers and explosions and some of the turrets and things like that on the ship. And so it's a really neat uh, shoot-em-up. It's absolutely free to download. There are links on the forum. Make sure you go to rfgeneration.com and go to the forum in the community playthrough. And there's a thread for Warning Forever. And there will be links there where you can go and download the game for free. Uh, It works on... I think everything from Windows XP to Windows 10, and uh, it's a fun little game. So definitely come join us for that playthrough, and uh, I'd be—I'll be real curious to hear everyone's thoughts when we uh, when we get around to that game. Sounds great. It really looks a lot like, or at least in the initial impressions, looks a lot like the shooter uh, Geometry Wars to me. Yeah, it does kind of have a bit of that flavor to it, and in fact, Geometry Wars may potentially have been mildly inspired by that. Um, the other the other thing that it takes inspiration from is an old uh, Sharp X68000 uh, game called Cho-Ren Sha. The ship and the way it fires and some of the enemy designs and all of that are, are very inspired by Cho-Ren Sha 68K. Uh, and so... Um, that's another game that we'll have to look at somewhere down the line. Another free title that uh, is quite a lot of fun. Sounds great to me. Any final thoughts? I definitely would say that, at least for me, the original Gradius, although it's a cornerstone and something that definitely I would recommend to everybody in a heartbeat, the NES version, <clears throat> compared to our type, even though it came out a couple years later, it lacks a little bit of a visual flair. It's not really a knock against this, but it, it definitely, even though it's such a touchstone, such identity, 
so much of the later Gradius series improved upon it, it's a little bit hard to go back to. It's a little bit harder to look at versus something like our type that has that Geiger-esque quality to it. So has something very unique about it that you look at it. And it where our types are like watching a, car, a little bit of a car wreck, you're like, it's fascinating. It's a little bit grotesque in some ways, but it's fascinating. You, you can't help but do a little bit of rubbernecking. With Gradius on there, you know, you're, you're going to be getting... It's uh, thing about like maybe if we were to use a car analogy and like a Camaro, it's fast, <clears throat> it knows what it does, and it's a fun experience. But some of the stuff that came after it is just miles better. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a lot of fun exploring Gradius, uh, the original version, and of course all the different ports, um, especially with some of the design choices and quirks. For each of the different ports and and how they all differ ever so slightly and and um, and yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed um, playing it especially on the PSP and and getting that one CC but I but I enjoyed going back to it um, because I didn't I never played the arcade original as a kid you know either Gradius or Nemesis and I don't remember any of my friends ever having Gradius on the NES. Um, and so I don't, I don't think I ever played the NES version until years later when I actually owned my own NES and a copy of the game. So really most of my experiences with the Gradius series have been in adulthood. And so I haven't spent a ton of time with it, but I'm glad that I, that, that we went through the game and put the time into it because it really is interesting and cool to see just how a lot of the inspiration that the genre really took from Gradius and how much Gradius advanced the genre from the games that were coming out just two and three years prior. It'll be interesting to move forward to, to Gradius 2, not only because Gradius 2 is so much more impressive graphically and in terms of the sound design and music and all of that over the original game, but also because most of the ports of Gradius 2 also show what a leap it was from the original game. You know, if you compare the NES port of Gradius to the version of Gradius 2 that came out on the Famicom, which we sadly did not get here in, in the in the West, uh, it's just miles apart. Um, it's similarly, the PC Engine version of Gradius 2 is quite impressive. So it'll be interesting to explore those down the line and uh, really dig into those. Alright, well that's all we have for you today on Shoot the Corecast. I'd like to give a huge shout out to Kogasu for our intro and outro music, and also Sir Flash for designing the official Shoot the Corecast podcast logo. Many thanks to all the participants at rfgeneration.com who played with us this month and enjoyed Gradius alongside us. And uh, we hope to see as many of you as possible for subsequent playthroughs. Make sure you keep gaming along with us. And remember, RFGeneration.com is the place to go. 
Thank you so much, and we will see you next time. Good night.